This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 200. That's insane. 200 episodes. Wow. Thank you for being on this journey with us. In this episode, we're chatting about emotion processing for adults. What does it look like for us to do this work? If you want more support in doing this work, I have a reparenting class for you where I guide you through how to take what you're bringing from your childhood and your social programming and really get to know it and build awareness and self-regulation so that you can live with intention. Head on over to seedandso.org and check out our classes. Jump on into our reparenting class today. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, everybody. Today we're hanging out and talking about adult emotion processing. So often I hear things like, oh man, I just exploded at my tiny human, or how do I navigate these hard feelings? Like, I didn't get this skill set growing up, and now I'm supposed to teach this to a tiny human, but I don't know it. And the truth is, You can't teach what you don't know. So a huge part of us teaching this to the tiny humans is building our own toolboxes. And it won't be perfect, and it'll be messy, and that's fine. But they're going to do what they see more than what you tell them to do. So if when you have a really hard emotion, you explode and blow up and scream... When they have a really hard emotion, they're going to do that too. Even if you're like, what's going to help you feel calm in that moment, they're going to do what they see more than what we say. And so we can 
be using all the right language. But if we're not modeling this, it's not going to go very far. So a huge part of this is building our own toolbox. So I reached out to y'all with some questions on like, what do you want to hear? What are your biggest pain points around this? And I'm going to go right through these questions today. The first thing that I got was, I want to know how I can be more patient, calm, and in control when shit hits the fan. And you know what? This is so much deeper, right? Like, I wish there was like a magic potion that I could be like, oh, just do this. But in actuality, I think what happens a lot is that we think we're being patient with kids, but really we're just like, moving the boundary for them and then eventually we explode because we've moved the boundary all day long and now they keep pushing it and we're really frustrated and so we explode and instead I want to focus on did you set a boundary great then let's hold it you might have a kid throwing a tantrum because you're holding it but you're going to see them pushing the boundary less and less and less and less if you're consistently holding these boundaries I, I honestly don't think patience is what's going to get you through parenthood. Personally, I'm not a very patient person. I can, well, I would say blow my lid for sure. (laughs) And I, I just am not like in general, I have often a different timeline than everybody around me. And I just want to get things done and like move on to the next thing and let's go. And So with the tiny humans, if I'm relying on patience, I'm probably going to start yelling before 9 a.m. Maybe if I'm real lucky before like 11. Um, But if we're relying on patience to get us through, I, I think we're setting ourselves up for some failure there. So instead, I want to be looking at, are we holding the boundaries? If you haven't yet tuned into episode number 78, the biggest game changer in my emotion processing, it's huge, guys. Like, I dive in in depth there. What played and plays such a huge role in my ability to in the moment say, oh man, like that was not my expectation and now I'm really frustrated or whatever the feeling is there. But this thing that I dive into in that episode is huge. So go tune into that one for sure. Expectation, man. Like, are you setting a boundary expecting that your kid's going to say, great, I can't wait to follow it? Then you're probably going to feel really frustrated when they don't follow it. Guys, kids aren't just going to follow your rules and boundaries. They're going to push back to see if it's real. So when you set it, you have got to be prepared for them to push back and like expecting that so that you're not just constantly annoyed that they're pushing back against the boundary. And instead you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. I am ready to respond in this manner. This is also why you can't make what some people call empty threats, quote unquote, which is just like a boundary that you're not going to enforce. If you say, hey, if you don't stop doing X, Y, and Z, we're going to leave this birthday party. You better be ready to leave this birthday party. Because if not, what you're doing is setting up a boundary that you're not going to enforce. And then you're going to be really frustrated when your kid tests you and pushes that boundary to see if you're going to leave that birthday party. If you are prepared to enforce it, go right ahead and set it. But if you're not going to enforce the boundary, don't set it. 
It's got to be something you're in co- you are comfortable enforcing. Because that's how kiddos know what to expect from us. It's how they build trust with us. What they learn is that when we say this, we mean it. We're going to do it. And they know they can trust us. They can trust us to hold the boundary. They can trust us when we say, in two minutes, I'm going to come play with you. They can trust us because when we have said something, we have followed through with it. We were consistent. But if you're setting boundaries that you aren't going to enforce, or you're setting them, expecting your kids to just follow them because you set them, y'all, you are going to blow your lid. It is going to be very frustrating very often. Another one that kind of goes hand in hand with this that I got was, why can I be Mary Poppins most of the time and then completely lose my cool? What is my trigger and what can I do to understand my trigger slash avoid it or how to react differently? Yeah, pay attention to that. I think often, like I just said, I think for so many people, it's expectations. Figuring out like, what did you expect to have happen in that moment? It might not be something you're like doing right now in the moment. It might be something that afterwards you say, all right, that didn't go as planned. Like, what was my expectation? What did I expect to have happen? How did we veer from the expectation? And how can I set myself up differently next time? Or what should I expect next time that's different so that I'm prepared to respond instead of react? For me, I often, it's easy for me to lose my cool when... I guess two things. When I feel like I have been really kind or like we got to do something fun or out of the ordinary, like nice or kind of like a bonus thing, right? Like, and then kids want more or they're rude after. I'm just like, man, I wish they were grateful instead of greedy here. And also, no, I know that as one of my triggers. And so when I'm going in and I'm doing the bonus nice thing, like, I don't know, we're going to go have, watch a show together, like, that I know they love, or we're going to go have a special trip, or we're going to have special playtime, just the two of us, whatever it is. If we're going to do something special that's out of the ordinary together, and I feel like I've either carved out time to do this with them, or I feel like I was thoughtful in making this happen, then I have to know, like, there's a chance that they're going to want more or that they won't feel grateful about it. And I have to be prepared for that. It's something that it's, I would say, still something that I'm working on that I have to remind myself of over and over, like going into things. When I start to notice, it's all self-awareness. So there are four components to emotional intelligence. And first and foremost is self-awareness. We have to start to be aware of what our triggers are, what our expectations are what our routines and patterns are, what our fears are. And for me, one of the triggers is when kids aren't being grateful. I think because, I don't know, I A, think like I was raised in a low-income family. Well, I know I was raised in a low-income family. And so we didn't just like go out to restaurants. You didn't get things like chocolate milk or whatever. Like we didn't go to the movies as a family. There weren't these things that now when I'm doing something with a kid that I guess like for me in my childhood would have been a special treat, whether it's like a physical treat or like a treat in terms of like going to the movies together, like having special time together. 
I am like, man, I would have killed for that as a kid. And they're just taking it for granted. So I think like that's my own work that I have to do. And it's not on this kid. So figuring out, like paying attention, self-awareness is really like mindfulness is super buzzwordy and uh, it really just is like paying attention, noticing what is fueling your fire here. So start to do that and you will quickly learn like, oh, what is my trigger? And you can ask yourself those questions afterwards. Like, what was I really afraid of there? Or what was I really annoyed by there? And you can start to break down what your triggers are. And then what happens from there is then you can start to self-regulate. Then when I'm going into a situation where I know I'm going to do something with or for a kid that they might take for granted and I might feel frustrated by, I'm already using mantras in my head to prepare myself for that so that I know how I'm going to respond if I feel like they're being greedy and not grateful, right? Like I'm preparing myself. It's like pre-teaching like we do for kids when we're going into a situation we want to prepare them. I'm doing that same thing for myself around my triggers and trends. And what often happens is like you'll do this once you build the self-awareness and then you build the self-reg and you can pre-teach and coach yourself and like build these mantras, prepare yourself to respond, then it'll stop being a trigger for you eventually. Like then it becomes pretty natural for you to then respond instead of react in those moments. And then you'll find new triggers. (laughs) Don't you worry. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Labine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Voices. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. We are all bringing stuff from our childhoods and from our life experiences into adulthood. And it's messy. And no, it's not the same for anybody. And so what works for your partner or your best friend or your sister or your mom might not work for you because your triggers and trends and habits are going to be different. And what makes you tick might not be what makes your best friend tick. And that's okay. 
I'm decent at this with rest and good self-care balance, but during sleep deprivation stage and or illness, I feel like I'm less likely to put the energy into fully processing emotions. What are some things adults can do with processing emotions in the exhaustion stage? This is really hard because we know, just like in the triangle of growth that I've talked about here before, where when I'm looking at kids and assessing kids, I'm really looking at emotional development, sensory development, and language development, and that's kind of it really early on. And so we know that sensory systems play such a big role in emotional regulation. This is why we have terms like hangry, right? Where when your sensory system's dysregulated, and you're hungry, it's really hard to be in a rational brain where you can say, oh, I know I'm hungry, but like, I'm really ready to communicate with kindness to you. Like, it's very hard when you are dysregulated. Often what I'll try to do is if you're in a sleep deprivation stage, I want to say like, it doesn't have to be that way for the most part. Like newborn phase is one thing and we can talk about how you get your village involved so that you have support there. But beyond that, we have so many parents who are operating from a place of sleep deprivation that don't have to be. I know that there are going to be a lot of feelings when people hear that. Pay attention to it. Build your self-awareness. Let me know what I just triggered in you, and we can talk about it. If we're talking about illness, like a kid's sick, you're sick, etc., honestly, what I'd say is, like, you're going to kind of survive this in a way where, like, I, I will catch myself, or I'm like, gosh, I'm really exhausted, or I just don't feel great, or whatever, and I'm just being an annoying human. Like I'm annoying to be around because I'm nitpicky and every little thing is a big thing and all that jazz. As Zach's editing this, he's probably like nodding head. Yes. Like, yes, preach sister. I can back this up. But uh, what I have been working on and what is definitely a work in progress is noticing when I'm being really annoying and getting to a place where I can say like, I'm really tired and or I'm not feeling great. I'm just going to go lay down. For me, I need to separate myself as much as possible or just say as little as possible. So even with kiddos, I've just been like, you know what? I'm going to read over here or I'm just not as engaging during that time because it's harder for me to bring my A game. And I'm probably not going to add a whole lot of goodness. And the illness periods are temporary, right? So hopefully, fingers crossed, I guess that really came from a place of privilege for me to be able to say that. In my experience, the illness has been temporary. If you are dealing with prolonged illness, first of all, like therapy for sure, working with a child life specialist for sure, who can support you with like, the range of emotions that will come with prolonged illness so that you have a space of support and expression and coping outside of your family, outside of your kids being responsible for that. What about when mom or dad is going through a big life change? Say, oh, I don't know, losing their job and struggling to find a new one. I'm chuckling in my voice because I know the gal who posted this and that's where she is. I've definitely found myself struggling to keep my cool the way I used to now that I have this black cloud constantly hanging over me. 
fear is a real doozy, right? Like when you are afraid of what's next? What does this mean financially? What does this mean logistically? Am I going to find a job? Am I going to find a job I like? What are we going to do for our family unit? What about paying for childcare? I don't want to be a stay-at-home parent, but I can't find a job that I like. How are we going to pay for this? All of those things, like I hear you, fear sucks. And really the best tool you can do right now or work on right now is acknowledging that fear, recognizing it, either journaling about it, finding a therapist to talk to about it, but acknowledging it, bringing awareness to like, yeah, I'm really afraid about what this means without trying to fix it really. Just like, this is where I am right now. And then tapping into coping strategies to help yourself through this, like making sure you are exercising making sure you're getting sleep, making sure you're drinking enough water, making sure you're physically taking care of your body, keeping your sensory systems regulated and making sure like obviously exercise is going to produce endorphins and oxytocin. You're going to help regulate your systems as well. But really focusing on your own physical and mental health while you're in this transition phase And a huge part of that is saying like, man, I'm afraid of what this means. Being in the unknown is scary. And turning to your partner and saying that and acknowledging for your partner, like, I know this is scary for you too, man. I know that we'll figure this out. I know that we will get to a place where it's not so scary, but right now it sucks. Really being able to have an honest conversation with yourself and your partner is a great place to start. (laughs) Someone said, just all the tips, really. How to backtrack when you just reacted instead of responded. How to handle learning and teaching these skills at the same time. Oh, I love that acknowledgement. How to handle learning and teaching these skills at the same time. A, a huge part here is knowing this is not about perfection. It is about intention. The more you do this and the more you practice this and the more you commit to this, the easier it gets. The more this becomes something that feels natural to you to do. Guys, I am not designed this way that you see me now. (laughs) Like, I am naturally for sure a yeller. I am a reactor all day. I was very much raised in a, you're okay, pull it together, this is not that bad, like, you're fine mentality. As so many of us were, this this did not come naturally to me. This is something that I've had to work on and will continue to work on. And by work on, I mean, like, there are things every single day that I do because I know that when I do them... It's easier for me to show up and respond instead of react. Like every single day, I drink a crap ton of water because I know that when I don't, I don't feel great. Every single day, I write down five things that I'm grateful for because I know that it's a key component to happiness. And when I reflect on things that I'm grateful for, I'm training my brain to look for things that I'm grateful for. Every single day in the middle of the day for just five minutes, I close my eyes without a phone and I just breathe. 
And I not I don't judge myself if I'm thinking about things. That's fine. I just want five minutes of breathing with my eyes closed with no screens where I'm not doing, quote unquote, anything productive. Right. Like if we can feel like, oh, I don't have five minutes. I have to check this thing off my to do list. Friend, there will always be something on your to do list. If you don't prioritize you, no one else is going to do it for you. So as you're learning this, it's figuring out what helps you show up as the human you want to be and do it. Do it unapologetically. Have enough respect for yourself and love for yourself to say, "Uh, I'm worth five minutes. I'm worth carving this out for. I'm also someone who used to start and stop things. I'm still that person, let's get real, um, where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, for sure. I'm going to be a runner. There was a time where I was like, I'm going to be someone who likes running. Uh, Nope, still don't. Still don't like to run. And but what would happen is I would like go, I would like binge run almost, right? Like I'd, I'd be super into it. And then something would throw me off track or I'd get distracted by something. And then I just wouldn't go back to it. And this is, we've got to know that there's never a time in life where you're like, go, I have so much free time to implement self-care and make sure I'm taking care of myself. You have to carve it out. There will be distractions knowing, like I sit down on my calendar and I look at, okay, what's going to come in the way of me doing this? Okay, on Monday, I know I have a baby that's going to be with me for a couple hours in the middle of the day when I usually close my eyes and meditate. So where can I move that to? Am I going to do it before or after that babe? Or am I going to do it when that baby's sleeping? Right? Like figuring out what's going to throw you off track because things will come in the way. There will be distractions and there will be things that will throw you off track and you have got to be prepared for them. Otherwise, you know what you'll do? You'll put yourself last. You'll say, oh, I can give up this self-care thing. Ah, I don't need to go for that run. You know what? I'll have a cup of coffee later once I can get around to it. I'll eat breakfast after the kids are fed and everything's good. I'll eat their scraps. We will always move the things and you'll take yourself off of the priority list. You will not prioritize yourself. And my challenge to you is to have the love and respect for yourself that you want your kids to model where you're carving out five minutes to breathe, right? Whatever that's going to be for you, whatever that fuel is for you and knowing that it won't be perfect and it'll take some trial and error. And you know what? If you get to the end of today or tomorrow and you're like, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't take care of myself. Climb right back up on that horse and start again tomorrow. Start again the next day. Just because you didn't do it today doesn't mean that it has to be the rest of time. You get to try again and prioritize yourself. But that's a huge part of learning and teaching at the same time. It's modeling. If you are doing it, if you are prioritizing this for yourself, your kids are watching. What do you want them to see? All right. How to backtrack when you just reacted instead of responded. Totally. It's going to happen. It's going to happen every single day, most likely least for a long time. (laughs) And so first of all, letting yourself off the hook and having that be the expectation that like there are going to be things today you're not perfect at. I, as a teacher, is in the habit of reflective practice. So 
at the end of every day or sometimes a week or a month or whatever, you look back and you'd say like, all right, what's going really well? What's not going so well? What can I tweak to make this different? And it's going to be similar. So in the moment, you might drop down and say, oh, man, I was feeling really frustrated. I'm sorry that I yelled. Next time, I'm going to try and take some space and take some deep breaths to feel calm before I respond to you. Or just something like that, like letting them know, like, man, I made a mistake and here's what I'm going to try to do next time. And then for yourself, later that day, what I like to do at the end of the day with tiny humans is look back and say, all right, where did the wheels come off the bus? Right? Like, where did things go awry? And then I can say, all right, what happened there? What was different? Was it that I didn't take care of myself in some manner and so I snapped and it threw everything off? Or was there something different with my kiddo? Did a timer go off and we weren't really ready to transition to the next thing and so it sent a mixed message? Or uh, were they hungry and they needed a snack? Like Just looking back and saying, all right, what could we tweak for next time? Rather than like, oh man, this afternoon was a bust. What can we tweak for next time? How do I manage anxiety so that it doesn't transfer to my daughter? You're going to work on it. You're going to acknowledge that fear sometimes is really hard for you. Anxiety is when we're stuck in fear, remember. It's not a permanent diagnosis. What you're saying is fear is really hard for me to process. And it might be that there are past traumas or experiences that bring up this fear for you, that trigger it for you. Or there might be feelings like, oh, it's my job to make sure that she's healthy. Like, what if she isn't, I get this one a lot, the gaining of weight, because one of the only things that we measure from the minute that child is born is how much they weigh. And then how much they weigh, and then how much they weigh, and how much they weigh, and what percentile are they in, and did they add, or did they drop, did they gain, did they, how much do they weigh? What percentile is it? And it's so stressful. And honestly, like, it, it, I think we need to step back a little bit from it and reframe it and say, like, all right, it is a curve. Everybody falls at a different place on this curve. Just like every single body is built differently. Everybody's weight is different. And health isn't about size. You can't look at somebody and see based on their size whether or not they're quote-unquote healthy. You could have a very sick body that is very thin. And you could have a sick body that is bigger, Like, that's not how we measure health, and yet we're so focused on those numbers from so young that then we get a lot of anxiety around, like, food, right? Like, are they eating enough? Am I I doing my job as their parent to make sure they're healthy? Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges 
out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. We have an upcoming episode on food specifically. And we'll dive into more on food specifically, but uh, just as an anxiety example that we're like, oh my gosh, I'm nervous about this. So what we can say to ourselves is like, man, fear is really hard for me. When I start to feel fear, what am I doing to help my body feel calm so that I'm not just quote unquote holding it together? Guess what? They're going to know, right? Like, Energy is so strong because it's mirror neurons. If your body's firing cortisol, they will also mirror that. So you pretending you aren't anxious is not as beneficial as you saying, all right, I'm feeling really nervous about something. I'm going to take some deep breaths. I'm going to turn to a mantra. I'm going to reach out to a friend. I'm going to pause and take space and read a book. I'm going to move my body. I'm going to do 10 jumping jacks or I'm going to go for a run or obviously you can't just drop things and go for a run all the time, but maintaining exercise consistently is really helpful in general for in the sense of like preventative care. Um, We call it proactive in our book. But yeah, like, are you being proactive about it? And then in the moment, what are you doing to find your calm? Because that's going to be powerful. And what we want kids to learn is it's okay to feel fear because we have a toolbox to help us feel calm. Pretending you don't have anxiety or accepting that you just live with anxiety does not have to be how this goes, guys. You can say, I really struggle with fear and... Build a plan for yourself that you're ready to implement to help you process that fear, to help you navigate it when it comes up, to help you have a plan in place proactively and then reactively. All right, now I feel it coming. What am I going to do to help my body feel calm? In the same way that we don't solve their problems until they're calm, you're not going to be an irrational brain to solve a problem if you're feeling anxious. You're in your amygdala. You're in your feelings brain. Oh, I like this one. 
How do you end a conversation when one adult says, I don't want to talk about this anymore? So I'm imagining this is like in conflict with another adult, perhaps a partner. And the other adult still has things to say. It's a fine line of respecting everyone's wants and emotional needs, but also making sure all parties feel heard. Do you keep talking it out? Do you give a final space to say all final thoughts? Do you revisit when everyone's ready? Specifically around questions about having babies and or parenting decisions. Yeah, dude. Okay. Around anything, I can speak so personally to this one. Zach and I process emotions and navigate conflict very differently. He goes quiet. He needs time and space to process. And the quieter he goes, the more I fill that silence with total word vomit. And I can get nasty and rude if I don't check myself. Um, in fact, our like early in our partnership was really figuring out like, how do we navigate this conflict? Because we would get into these cycles where he would go quiet. I would go off the rails and be really rude. And he would just go quieter and quieter. And then I would explode with something and then I would feel bad. And then eventually we would figure out how to solve the problem. <laughs> but it was just like a giant S show. And so now what this looks like for us was I, it is really beneficial. I'm an auditory processor. So it's really beneficial for me to have a space to talk. Sometimes things come up in the moment. And if things come up in the moment where like, there's a thing that happens and I'm annoyed at him and now I need to talk about it or I want to bring it up, whatever, and he needs space or processing time, then I'll say like, hey, this is really annoying to me or I'm really frustrated about this. And I've, I've worked really, really hard. And this has been over years, guys. It takes so much practice to say it in a kind way, but to let him know what I'm annoyed by or what I'm frustrated at. And then we'll say like, can we talk about this now or is it for later? And if he's not ready to talk about it, he we, we have a deal here, he and I, like he knows it's okay for me to then go and turn to my people to talk to it, talk about it, right? Like if I need to express, I can, my sister-in-law and I are very close. I can turn to her and like call her and chat with her about it. Or um, my cousin and I are also very close. I can turn to her and express and just be like, man, I've got to get this off my chest. And usually... So a key part here, the people that I have chosen as my people to vent to are not people that fuel my fire. So they're not going to be like, yeah, screw him. Like, he's so rude. Um, instead, their whole job is to just listen and empathize with where I am um, to validate me without just adding fuel to my fire where they'll just be like, yeah, that is really frustrating. I wonder, like, that seems really out of character for him. Or sometimes <laughs> my sister-in-law's so good at, like, framing what Zach's perspective might have been. And she'll be like, I don't know, like, what kind of, like, he was experiencing. But I know that he loves you more than life itself and wouldn't intentionally want to hurt you or make you feel disappointed. So I wonder what his intention was there or what his expectation was. And it just... Hearing like, yeah, you're right. Like he, he he does love me so dang much, and he would never intentionally do something to hurt me. Helps for me just kind of calm down, and then I can usually go back to him and be like, hey, bud, 
let me know when you're ready to chat. I know this wasn't your intention. I just want to figure out how to navigate this differently next time, or I want to figure out how we got here. But having that person that can kind of reframe things and hear me out when he isn't ready is huge for me. Another thing for us, like if it's a big discussion, like when to have babies or whatever, I will either like write him a note, shoot him a text, even email, like just like, hey, this has been on my heart or on my mind and I'd like to find time to talk about it when you're ready to talk about it too. When do you think we might be able to sit down and chat? Because what used to happen is I would like stew on it and then he would walk in the door and I would be snippy for a little while and then he'd be like, hey, what's going on? And then I would explode with something like, I don't know, if it's the baby, this hasn't happened with us for babies. We've really been on the same page baby wise, but say it was babies like, well, I really want to have a kid and it's really hard for me that you don't want to. Like, I, I don't know. I just... I used to for sure be snappier. Zach's a much kinder human than I am, I would say, on the whole. Like, he is just such a gentle, loving person, and he is really empathetic. And empathy is something I have to really work on. Like, I have to pause and remind myself that everybody is doing the best they can and that everybody has their own challenges. And most of the time, they're not out to just hurt my feelings or make me feel sad. And instead, they're navigating their own story. And But I have to really remind myself of that. It's not something that like just comes supernaturally for me. So around this stuff, like it's helpful for me if I can give him a heads up. That gives him time and space to kind of formulate his own thoughts and think about like what his perspective even is or where he might be coming from on this. And then we can have a constructive conversation. And I have also had to learn to take deep breaths while we're having said conversation because his processing time is slower than mine. Like he is an internal processor and he needs time to like think, to formulate a kind response. And I can just like fire things off and have these conversations like boom, boom, boom. As part of my processing happens while I'm talking, like I, as I'm talking through things, it's helpful for me. Whereas he, it's not that way for him. And the more I talk, the more he just gets overloaded with my garbage and it gets harder and harder for him to formulate a response. But it can be really frustrating still to this day for me when we're in conflict and I feel like it's taking longer than I want him to, for him to be in silence. And sometimes I'll say like, I really need you to say something. I'm feeling really frustrated. And usually in those times, like if he's still like, I just don't know what to say, then I'm then I'll say like, all right, then I need space. And the I need space is really like I can't look at your face with kindness anymore. And so I need to be in a separate space from you. I need to walk away from you. And sometimes for me, it's walking away and seeing if my cousin or my sister-in-law is able to chat for a minute. Sometimes it's walking away and just like crying because I just am frustrated and I need to express it in some way. And when I can't talk, it's helpful for me sometimes to cry. Reason number 7,000, we shouldn't be making kids stop crying for our, like our comfort. It's such a nice expression. It can be very healthy to express via tears. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I guess there are two things. But ultimately, I think in a lot of partnerships, people don't process the same way necessarily. And someone might need more time or more space. And I used to feel frustrated because I was like, oh, we're always doing it the way that works for him because no matter how much I talked, he still needed the space to be able to have a productive conversation with me. So I had to figure out, okay, if he's going to have that space, what do I need for my own emotional regulation here and my own processing so that I can come back together with him in a place where we can be constructive? Because it's really hard to have like a constructive problem-solving conflict resolution conversation when you're in your amygdala, when you're feeling. We want to be in our rational brain, our prefrontal cortex, which can take time and intention to get to. Ultimately, guys, you've got to figure out like what your triggers and trends are, what sets you off, what is at the core of it. Build that self-awareness first. We do the same thing with kids. And it's the same process with us. We've got to build the self-awareness to figure out what we're feeling before we're then like, okay, and then the next step is what do you do to help yourself feel calm? Is breathing helpful? Are mantras helpful? Is moving your body helpful? Is taking space helpful? Is it helpful for you to just go read a book for 15 minutes or call a friend? What helps you feel calm that doesn't just numb? We're not looking at coping mechanisms. So we're staying away from screens or distractions and really looking at like, what are you doing where you're sitting with yourself with some space here or moving your body? Holler at your girl if you have any more questions about it. I love you and I'm proud of you for doing this work. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.